morning, everybody. Let's start with prayer. Give us grace, Almighty Father, so to pray as to deserve to be heard, to address thee with our hearts as with our lips. Thou art everywhere present. From thee no secret can be hid. May the knowledge of this teach us to fix our thoughts on thee with reverence and devotion, that we pray not in vain. Look with mercy on the sins we have this day committed, and in mercy make us feel them deeply, that our repentance may be sincere, and our resolution steadfast, and endeavoring against the commission of such in future. Teach us to understand the sinfulness of our own hearts, and bring us to our knowledge every fault of tempter and every evil habit in which we have indulged to the discomfort of our fellow creatures and the danger of our own souls. May we now, and on each return of night, consider how the past day has been spent by us, what have been our prevailing thoughts, words, and actions during it, and how far we can acquit ourselves of evil. Have we thought irreverently of thee? Have we disobeyed thy commandments? Have we neglected any known duty, or willingly given pain to any human being? Incline us to ask our hearts these questions, O God, and save us from deceiving ourselves by pride or vanity. Give us a thankful sense of the blessings in which we live, of the many comforts of our lot, that we may not des deserve to lose them by discontent or indifference. Be gracious to our necessities and guard us and all we love from evil this night. May the sick and afflicted be now and ever in thy care. And heart heartily do we pray for the safety of all that travel by land or by sea, for the comfort and protection of the orphan and the widow, and that thy pity may be shown upon all captives and prisoners. Above all other blessings, O God, for ourselves and our fellow creatures, we implore thee to quicken our sense of thy mercy in the redemption of the world, of the value of that holy religion in which we have been brought up, that we may not by our own neg neglect throw away the salvation that, hast, that thou hast given us, nor be Christians only in name. Hear us, almighty God, for his sake, who has redeemed us and taught us thus to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Anybody look at the footnote to see who wrote that prayer? Jane Austen. Jane Austen, yeah. She wrote a couple other little things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so this comes to us kind of out of a Anglican type of a tradition. Um, a lot of times people don't think about uh, the, uh, the context that these people grew up in. And um, there are a lot of people who, as they read Austin's books sometimes think that she's kind of hostile to Christianity because um, she portrays the uh, some of the clergy in a negative light. Are there clergy that deserve to be portrayed in negative lights? 
<coughs> yeah, so, I mean, she was writing out about some of the abuses that were in the church in, in her novels. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't a believer. Um, this is uh, from uh, a letter that she wrote to her sister, um, Cassandra. And uh, that when you think of Jane Austen, you kind of tend to think of that Victorian English, very private type of faith. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that it wasn't a real faith, um, and, you know, a sincere faith. So um, I always think it's worth looking at, at things like this and, uh, uh, you know, kind of learning from uh, the generations that have gone before us and seeing how they put their prayers together. Uh, definitely a different style than what um, we would often do on our own. But I also would say that this is probably one of those things that's a benefit of from time to time picking up pen and paper and writing out our prayers. You know, to, to take the time to write out those thoughts and to craft the thoughts. Um, and uh, not because making it more beautiful is necessarily you know, making it more likely to be heard or anything like that. But for the glory of God and, you know, as an act of worship, you know, I can, I can see a benefit there to say, you know, I, I, I want my words uh, to be lovely and to communicate bigger ideas than sometimes if I'm just sitting down and, you know, saying a quick prayer are going to come to my head. Does that make sense? So... You know, if you feel like it, you could pick up a piece of paper and, uh, and a writing utensil later today and, you know, give that a shot. Um, hey, we are really blessed because uh, we have our favorite seminarian with us today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, Wes, how you doing, man? Doing well. Welcome home. We're glad you're here. So, one semester down, right? Yep. You survived. You're hairier than the last time we saw you. Beard looks yes. good. We love it. Um, so, we tell us a little bit about what you've been uh, been studying. Uh, sure. Uh, of course, this semester is all of the intro courses, um, and so basically, the idea behind the intro course, at least in seminary, this isn't true of everywhere, but it is true in seminary. The idea is, is basically to uh, look at the way that you view Christianity and the way you, you view the church and all of the all of the preconceptions that you have had and like everything that you built over, over time and place a giant landmine in there and blow the entire thing up <laughs> and then uh, and then rebuild it from the uh, from the rubble that comes out and um, and it really it really really makes you think about your faith. It really, really makes you think about what you believe, and sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't go very smoothly. Sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable. But you know, once you actually, once you see what's actually going on, once you see what's happening, uh, what comes out is a bit stronger. So, nice. So, what courses did you take? Sure. So um, this is this semester was intro to historical theology, intro to uh, oh well, yeah, intro to historical theology, intro to uh, systematic theology, uh, intro to pastoral ministry, and then interpreting and communicating the word, which is basically 
intro to exegesis, which is a really big word meaning how to interpret the Bible. So yeah, because there are rules. Yes. You know that we bind ourselves to in terms of you know how do we understand our our, our texts when we read them. Uh, you'll notice that sometimes you know. Um, Preachers will take a text and just completely take it out of context and basically pour their idea into, you know, just a couple of words. You know, the, the discipline that uh, Wes is being brought up in here um, is basically to protect against that, but also to really kind of structure, you know, when we approach a text, how do we make sure we do this in kind of roughly the same way? Yep. So... Um, did you take like um, uh, any of the worship classes learning how to lead worship or have you done any of that yet so uh, not yet <coughs> to the extent that that was taught it was sort of more this semester is really more theory uh, the actual practice of it will come next semester and then next year um, so that'll be that'll be um, next semester we do um, homiletics, which is preaching, and then next year, uh, first semester of uh, of the fall, or I guess fall semester next year, Thank you. that's when they do um, um, worship in the word. Okay. Um, and so worship in the word is uh, is that sort of um, Again, some of the theology behind worship. Now, as far as as far as worship is actually concerned, in terms of like doing liturgy and everything, there's not actually a class for that. Um, the expectation is is that you're doing that in your field work. Okay. So, um, for me, that uh, my field work church is in is just across the river in Illinois, um, and uh, so I have led matins once thus far. Um, my tones were good. Everything else kind of was iffy, but my tones <laughs> were good. So. All right. So matins is, for those of you who don't know, it it's, comes from the old uh, hours, the monastic hours of the day, and it's a morning worship service, so it's a morning liturgy. Um, and so it's generally a non-communion service and uh, uh, a lot of chanting in, in that. Um, yep. So, well, excellent. So next time you come home, should we put you to work? I mean, are are you ready to, uh, you know, help lead worship, lead liturgy here? Well, that's up to you, I suppose. Um, you may need a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, to be honest, whatever whatever practice you can get is good, because uh, um, so at my specific fieldwork congregation, there's there's two pastors. And then there's two field workers. So it's me and then another field worker that are at that church. Yeah. And uh, so as a result of that, um, I mean, not that there aren't any opportunities to lead the liturgy, but it tends to be a little bit less uh, less common. Yeah. And so uh, I'm certain that the same thing will go uh, will, will apply once I'm through homiletics. And I've got my preaching certification. Like there's only there's only a certain amount of preaching that I can actually do, uh, just because of the schedule at my uh, at my yep. fieldwork congregation. Um, but uh, uh, so so any any practice really helps. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, yeah, let us know again next time you're coming home, and uh, we'll, we'll put you to work leading some worship services. And, sure. uh, um, and then when you're ready to, uh, to start preaching, we'll, we'll put you in the pulpit. I'll let people know. They can bring tomatoes. <laughs> Just kidding. You're going to enjoy this, aren't you? <laughs> you know, um, I, I loved my seminary experience, and uh, it, it was very, it's very good. It's a very good education. You get a lot of good experiences. It's, it's a good, good thing. Um, but it, there is also, you know, there's some fun involved with this, you know, and just like in any in industry, you know, it's not hazing per se, because we, ge we yeah. genuinely do want you to be successful. And I don't know that that's always the case, um, you know, but, uh, um, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, you know, laugh at other people. Uh, <laughs> I was say, you, you love to teach, don't you? I do, I do. I, I, I get that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I used to um, dream that maybe someday I would teach in a college or at, at the seminary, um, but uh, I, I, I see people who teach, and they're really sharp, and uh, I rejoice in those gifts, and I rejoice that I get to do this. Because <laughs> this is actually, this is the real action. This is this is what you know we train for, and this is you know, you know this this is boots on the ground type of stuff. This is what really really matters. So it sounds familiar because in nursing, uh, you can go to class and go all of that, but real world is outside in the clinical. Yep. In the clinicals. Yep. Yep. Same mixture of teaching. A lot yeah. of it sounds like teaching. Yeah. Yeah. You know and. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how the Lord leads our congregation. I, I would love to have um, a vicar, uh, an intern, you know, at some point. Mm -hmm. um, that would be really cool. It's something I've always dreamed of. And uh, um, I think I have enough years under my belt now that I would actually have something to offer a, a young guy coming out. Um, but uh, we'll see, you know. These are... That sounds good. That's what I had in my church. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing, yeah. You know, and uh, uh, the churches, these guys, they, they need the experience. You know, and it's, it's a good thing. And I always kind of uh, thought it was weird because Vicarage takes place on your third year and you come back for another year. And most internships take place, as I understand it, your last year, and then you go into the workforce. Um, and I never quite understood that until I experienced it, and I did all sorts of things wrong and realized all my you know, weaknesses. And then when I took classes my fourth year, I very heavily leaned into those things for my training. So it was cool. Good stuff. We're glad you're here, Wes. We're proud of you. Keep working hard and uh, um, studying and growing. Um, and don't let it just be facts and knowledge. Anyway, these are things of eternal life. So, anywho, glad you're here. We are working. I'm your part of you. We are working our way through Romans chapter seven. I keep threatening to finish it. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, uh, so, seven twenty-one to twenty-five. I think this is our third week on this um, little section. Uh, 
also, just so you know, last week, um, I'm not sure what happened, but when I got to the end of the class, it had not recorded. So there, there is no recording of, of last week's class, unfortunately. Um, and uh, this one looks like it's working, so glad for that. Romans 7, 21 through 25, Paul writes, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So, um, in the translation, uh, he translates, the, the, the translators put it as my inner being. It's, it's literally my inner man, um, you know, if you were to look at it in, in the original language. Um, the, the, the idea is really, uh, it's that, that part of you that people can't see. It, it's the you that's you when no one else is looking type of thing. Um, and I think one of the things that's important to remember uh, well, we all have an inner life. Um, you know, some people, I, I saw a good meme uh, recently that, that said, you know, it is good and right to talk to yourself. It is good to ask yourself questions. It is good to answer yourself. It's bad if you can't remember what you said to yourself. <laughs> um, but we, we have this, this, this internal dialogues you know, that are going on inside of us all the time, um, you know, as we debate the things that we want to do, as simple as, you know, what kind of coffee do I want, to what shall I wear today, to much bigger issues, you know, in our lives. Um, you know, what career do I want to pursue? Where do I want to live? Where do I want to retire? You know, all of those kinds of things. But it's also important to remember that the inner life is expressed in the outer life. So, I think I told you the story about when I lit up Chuck at the church. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, what was going on there? I told you that it was a really stressful position uh, that I was in, and you know. Um, so I was under a, a lot of pressure to, uh, I was the property manager for the choir. I'm, I'm seeing some, some faces that weren't here last time. So let me, let me just recap. Uh, I was a property manager for the choir when we were in college. And uh, we went to a, a, a church. And so the property manager's job is to make sure that all the choir robes get taken in and the risers get set up. And I would coordinate the people to do that. And there was a guy named Chuck who felt that he was special and didn't need to help and right in the middle of the sanctuary at you know whatever Lutheran church I lit him up I uh, I not you yeah <laughs> I was a little bit hotter tempered when I was younger um, but uh, I, I think I'm better now um, but uh, maybe <laughs> Chris, do you want to weigh in on that? <laughs> I'm just going to say he was really annoying, that's 
<laughs> That's past tense. <laughs> I didn't mean Eric, I meant Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was it was a genuinely it was a rough situation and and uh, and I did not handle it well. Um, and uh, uh, the choir director saw me and uh, he he grabbed me. And uh, you know, in in that conversation, one of the things he told me is that in his experience, when he sees things coming out on the out, outside, it's related to something that's going on on the inside. And I have found that to be true just over and over and over again. You know, when, when people are in a good place on the inside, that usually reflects outwardly. And, you know, if it's, you know, there's a lot of stress, pressure, bad things going on on the inside, then that will boil over. Now, we could talk about that in terms of psychology. We could talk about that in terms of therapy and, and the like. But this is true spiritually, too. What's going on on the inside impacts what's going on on the outside. And the reason for this is that we are whole people. Whole, W-H-O-L-E. We, we like to kind of try to compartmentalize our lives. You know, well, this is my spiritual life. This is my work life. This is my family life. You know, so on and so forth. But we don't actually work that way. That's not, that's not the reality of who we are. This, this is all you, you know, or me or whoever we're talking about. Um, so you know, this is part of what I was talking about a little bit earlier with that prayer with Jane Austen where people would read her books and think she is anti-Christian because of her criticism of the clergy of the time um, and here we have the that was a gorgeous prayer wasn't it? Mm-hmm. it it was it's lovely it's very well done and it speaks of a very sincere faith that, that she had but she didn't really talk about it because that was Victorian England and honestly it's not just Victorian England you know I have had conversations with a lot of people over the years and I said you know my faith is kind of this private part of my life you know I don't like to talk about it okay but it's still it's still part of our lives you know and how we view our faith life is going to impact what 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 comes out What's going on in the inside is going to impact what comes out. And uh, there is a, uh, a theory in counseling, um, oh, I just had it, uh, called systems theory. And the idea is that you know, when, when you're doing counseling, like in a marriage, you can help the entire marriage by helping one part of the marriage because you're changing part of the system, and that's going to impact the rest of the system. Okay. And this is similar, what I'm talking about here. So if your outer life is frenetic and stressed out and crazy and you don't have a lot of peace, you can start to work on that by working what's going on on the inside. And so part of what I'm talking about here are things like um, devotional habits. Um, The times that uh, uh, we spend with God uh, in, in just a, a moment or, or, or two that impact the, the rest of 
our, our day um, because the inner influences the outer. So um, at the beginning of Advent, I, uh, I challenged everybody uh, to, you know, first thing in the morning and uh, the last thing right before you go to bed, you know, make the sign of the cross, say the Apostles' Creed, and do the Lord's Prayer. Um, and uh, I, I don't like to be the kind of person that says, hey, you should all do this, and then I don't do it. Um, so I, I, I haven't done it perfectly, but you know, that's been kind of my habit over the last few weeks. And it's, it's striking to me how when I'm doing things like that, how that impacts the rest of my day. Now, are there other ways to, to do that? Absolutely. I'm just giving a way, okay? Um, so when we, when we look at what's going on on the inside and we bring that into you know, connection with God and his word, God's word is going to do things in us. You know, God's word shapes us, it forms us. Hebrews says that God's word is, is like a double-edged sword. It's living and active and it, point, it pierces uh, soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It does things in us. In a sense, you could say it carves us up. You know, it, 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 it whacks away at the sin in our life in order to speak grace and forgiveness that gives us new life. That's going to impact what happens on the outside. You know, so this is one of the reasons I think that those, those inner habits are, are so important. Things like um, what, uh, what people used to call solitude, where you, you take some time by yourself just to be alone with God. You know, reading scripture or listening to scripture. You know, it, it, it strikes me as something that, uh, you know, we have, we've almost elevated our quiet time devotions to the level of a sacrament. And when you look at most of the history of the world, most people were illiterate. And I'm not saying that quiet time devotions is a bad thing. I think it's a fantastic thing. I think it's important. You know, if you have the opportunity to do that, what a blessing. But the opportunity to think about God's word, even if it's just a passage that you've memorized and tucked away in your head and in your heart, that, that's meaningful. God uses that to, to shape us from the inside out. Uh, prayer is another one of those inner uh, disciplines. Um, and uh, one, one of the things that, that has been striking to me recently as I think about devotions, particularly those devotions related to prayer and the Word, um, in our culture, we tend to do these things silently. Um, we read silently. That has not always been the case in the history of the world. There is a, a, a beautiful account of um, St. Augustine uh, visiting St. Ambrose, because saints just hang out together apparently. Um, and Ambrose was sitting there and he's got his Bible and he, it, Augustine noticed that he is reading. His lips are moving, but there's no sound. He's like, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Because at that time when you read, you read 
allowed. And, and in Romans 10, we're, we're going to get to it some year, um, but it, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it, it, it strikes me that this could be something that might be good for us, especially since we have all of these apps that will read the Bible to us. To spend time listening, to read these things ourselves uh, aloud, you know, just even by yourself, it, I promise you it feels weird to read aloud by yourself. Just because it feels weird, does that make it bad? No, it, it, you know, it's just we're not used to that. But think about what happens if you read the word out loud, you, you are not just receiving that message, you're thinking about what that is, you vocalize it, and you hear it. You know, you're engaging it in all these different ways. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this. If you, if you listen to the Lutheran Hour, this new speaker, uh, Michael Ziegler, I don't know how long he's been there. It's been a couple years, I call it new, but um, this is one of the things that he's really hot on. And in, in, the, in the past, if you listen to the, the sermons in the, in the Lutheran Hour, there, there are sermons that go 30 to 40 minutes. Ziegler's sermons are about that same length, but a significant portion of them is going to be a retelling from the Scriptures, almost an exact reading. He tweaks it a little bit by his own because of his own translating. You know, kind of like what I do with some of this sometimes. Half of the sermon is just the word being read to you, you know, in, in a way that is in, engaging. And, you know, I, and the word does that work. And I think that that's something that, that is beneficial for us if, if we can um, take that time. And I don't think it has to be huge. You know, do um, you remember the scene in I think it's Mark chapter 10 I could be wrong about the chapter but definitely in Mark where the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and this is the one where he calls her a dog it's a really uncomfortable text he says it's not right to take food from the children take bread from the children and toss it to the dogs you know and she makes this incredible statement and says yes Lord He's agreeing. It's not right to take the food from the children and toss it to the dogs. And yet the dogs receive the crumbs that fall from the table. She's satisfied with crumbs. And one of the things that strikes me when I think about that is those crumbs, if we're talking about God's word, if we're talking about God's gifts, potent powerful life-giving so i don't think that any of this you know inner work necessarily needs to be hugely long but it's it's like infusing and that's a dangerous word in theology but it's like getting an infusion of, of of god's word and his power and his grace in our lives that helps us to go out into the world and to live differently. Yes. 
the God, uh, the God's word, uh, like especially the Lord's prayer and the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. The words that we use in the Lord's prayer and the Apostles' Creed, those words are very, very, very powerful. Uh, my my thought is like when we use when I use our mind in those words and we practice those words, that puts us in a direct connection with God, which gives us a thought that how we're gonna spend the day. Not only that, when we go to the world, that also gives us a special protection and Savior Jesus Christ that hey i am giving you the, i mean i'm saying the lord is saying us a lord is giving us that hey i'm giving you this protected bubble now you can go to the world and that's how you're going to spend the day do this 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 be aware of this 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 and that should keep you in connection with me yeah so there's a psychological aspect to this that is yeah. you know kind of a mindfulness type of thing you, you put your mind in the right place and we do we, we do this in business conversations leadership conversations right you know but in this case, the thing that we're putting into our minds is also acting on us. Um, that, that God is at work in that to create faith in us, to deliver his spirit to us, mm-hmm. and that is going to change us outwardly. So those inner habits uh, that I mentioned, solitude, uh, scripture, and prayer, those, those are pretty, um, pretty universally recognized. So th- those are things to consider. Um, However, if we're whole people, the outer behaviors can also impact what's going on in the inner self, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a whole system. And this is something that we don't always think about in terms of the power of our devotional habits. You know, doing things outwardly you know, with our, our physical bodies that are going to impact our, our spirit. And uh, um, we have this uh, in some ways uh, reflected in some of our leadership and business practices where they will talk about fake it till you make it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that you're going to do the things you don't necessarily feel like doing, but it's, you know, you're, you're going about it because it's going to, in the end, impact how you engage the world except in this case these outer behaviors um, can then impact the inner attitude and they are a reflection of walking in faith so things like fasting things like um, uh, generosity things that we do outwardly uh, volunteering and helping the, the poor, uh, or or just helping anybody, you know, out of out of love because it's the right thing to do. Th- those are things that can change what's going on uh, inside of us. Um, have you ever gone somewhere um, like to volunteer and you didn't really feel like going, mm-hmm. and then you were so glad afterwards? I see Chris smiling. This is like every time I come to Rejoicing Spirits on a Saturday evening. It's like every time when I leave for an evening Bible class, I'm like, I don't want to go. But the outward obedience, the outward behavior, then changes what's going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so when, when we when we look at our devotions. Uh, uh, th- this is a couple points down here where it talks about devotional habits there. 
our devotional life, it's really a reflection of a commitment to God's teaching. So these can be very, very broad. So consider for a moment, who created all this? God. God did. So we believe that God created all things and that he has placed us here as stewards of the, of the world to take care of the creation. And we are part of that creation. So say we were then very much convicted that part of the way that, that we take care of this world would be to um, help to preserve it. And then we find out that there are invasive species in our woods. Because there are. And out of that commitment to caring for the creation, we were to volunteer to take out the multifloral rose or the whatever garlic, whatever that is. That wild garlic that's going around. Yeah. And, and we, we were to, to go about and do that. You know, because we're, we're taking care of the creation. You could take a next step. You could talk about cleaning up, you know, pollution, you know, litter, trash, whatever. Is that any less holy than sitting and reading the Bible? No. Because it's moved by the Word. And it's a reflection of your faith in action. <laughs> So, our devotional habits, their commitment to one of God's teachings is one of God's teachings to, uh, to listen to his word and to meditate upon it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, if we are committed to that, we take time and we do that. Is one of his teachings that we should pray? So, we're you know, committed to that? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially like when you are volunteering or, or helping any people, like uh, before you even start the, start the work, or start the action, just keep, uh, when you have the thoughts in your mind that this is what I'm doing for the Lord, and this is what I'm volunteering, or this is a way that I'm serving the Lord, I'm doing it for the Lord. Any work that you keep or thought in mind, and especially like when you say a prayer that I am doing it for you, and help me to uh, get through this, Okay. God is always there, all the time. Yeah, well, he teaches us to, you know, in, in the situation you're talking about mm -hmm. he teaches us to love our neighbor and so we are going to do the things that show we're loving our neighbor and that is moved by god's word mm -hmm. and then that leads and guides the behavior and it reveals that the holy spirit is at work in us um, because of our faith is in action wes the really cool thing about prayer and evangelism is that regardless of who you're talking to you are still delivering the gift of the uh, or the gift of grace to them. Uh, so this is uh, this is um, Luther or I don't know if, if Luther coins this specifically, but it comes to be known as this: the means of grace. Yep. That that preaching the gospel or speaking the gospel um, uh, in either in the context of actually reading the Bible or in the context of preaching or in the context of maybe just talking to someone through mutual conversation or, or yeah, mutual conversation and consolation. All of these are delivering the means of grace. 
which means that it, it's it's really really neat. You're basically getting the grace and delivering it to someone's doorstep, and so you have presented the gift to them. Um, you know, this is uh, this is what God has willed for His church. Um, there are all sorts of things about proclamation yeah. and explanation that uh, we went into in systematics, but uh, but I, I think that, that, that that's uh, that's something that's really need to keep in mind when, when you're thinking about that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. So the chief of the means of grace is the word. Yes. So when when we talk about baptism, it's the word in the water. When we talk about the Lord's Supper, it's the word in, with, and under the bread and wine, right? It, it, you know, so the, these are, we, we sometimes refer to them as the word in a, uh, a, a tangible form. But when you, you, what you're talking about there is you're literally giving people God's word as it is working in your own life. And the word then does its work. In Isaiah, God says, my word goes out and it does not return empty. It always accomplishes that for which I send it. You know, so, um, you know, when, when we engage God's word inwardly, when we engage it outwardly, it's going to shape us and it's going to form our, our whole being. You know, so can we delight in God's law? Yeah. Inwardly, absolutely. You know, because we, as redeemed people, see God's love and his wisdom at work in us in what he teaches us there. Can we delight in it outwardly? Yeah, because it'll often be about helping a neighbor or doing something that is a blessing to other people. You know, and the word is at work in us. You know, I started out oh, you know, reading portions of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is entirely about delighting in God's word inwardly and outwardly. That's one of the reasons I, I, I started with that. Uh, you know, it, it talks about God's word at work in us. So, as we engage that word, you know, I, and we seek to live this Christian life, it, it's, it's about applying that to our spirits, to the inner self that holds on to God's promises, and that's going to influence us outwardly. But it's also sometimes about taking these things outwardly, these teachings that God has for us, applying them, and letting that work on the inner self as well. And when that happens there will be conflict. You know, he talks about this in, in verse 23. He says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He knows, we know that we have been freed in Christ. And yet the, our sinful nature leads us back to bondage. And, and this, this is the battle that we face all the time, whether we're going to follow God in his word or whether we're going to live in our, our sinful flesh. This is one form of spiritual warfare. You know, sometimes we hear that and we think about casting out demons and, and things like that. From what I've seen, spiritual warfare is way more boring It fits, doesn't it? Think about how God delivers his grace to us. Water, preacher, bread and wine. 
you know, it's it's not all flashiness and and you know, you know. yeah. So um, th this this is the battle of, of the Christian life as we seek to live the way that God calls us to do. Our, our sinful nature, the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature push back against that, and you know. So both the will to do good and to do evil are within you. And the reason that they're both in you is because you are a baptized, believing, justified, reborn follower of Jesus Christ who has redeemed you with his body and blood. That redemption, that new life is in you. And that means that your life is going to be frustrating sometimes. Because of conflict like this where we see what our Savior has done for us and we long for God's word, we long to do what he calls us to do, and we just can't quite do it on our own. We can't win this battle on our own. So every discipline, every strategy, every force of human will ultimately fails. Because remember what we learned in Romans 3.23? All have sinned fall short of the glory of God. We, we have that, that problem that is within us. And so Paul, as he's experiencing this frustration, as he's experiencing, you know, I, I feel this, I want to do this outwardly, and I'm not getting it done. And he says, wretched man that I am. And the struggle, it impacts our emotions. Because emotions are a real part of our lives. You know, happiness, joy, sorrow, contentment, peace, grief, all of them. They're, they're, they're a real part of our life. They're a real part of our life of faith, too. Which parts do we like to deal with? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. But we don't like the sadder hymns a lot of times. And yet that's a real part of our lives. This is one of the things I think, I, one of the things I really appreciate about um, being a liturgical Christian. So we have these different seasons of the church here that have a little bit of a different tone. You know, Advent is not quite as peppy as Christmas, is it? Their songs tend to be in a little bit more of a minor key. They're hopeful. You know, they're proclaiming God's salvation, but they're not the same as, you know, Hark the Herald or Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, where you're just like, boom, I want to sing this with all of my guts, right? And then the other season that comes to mind is Lent. I hear every year, just, oh, Lent. Mm -hmm. But... I think that this is an important part of our life to consider some of these negative emotions as part of our life of faith to lead us into confession and to you know really emphasize the grace that God has poured out on us. Bill. On that point, it reminds me, it was years ago we were doing a study on Mormonism and the high suicide rate. Oh. In, in, you know, in Utah. Okay. Uh, young men that the emotion of failure, of not being perfect after you repent, you know, that, that cult 
drives that in and you're not worthy and they commit suicide. Wow. Emotion is so strong that they can't be perfect, which is what their cult calls to be. Yeah, because ultimately it's about your works. Right. Yeah. That's the other really neat thing is uh, the, the other means of grace that we didn't talk too much about is absolution. Um, when, when you are forgiven of your sins in the study by the command of Christ Jesus, um, you receive far more grace than is necessary. You receive an overwhelming amount of grace. You don't receive enough grace to get rid of your sin. You receive far more than you can possibly imagine and far more than you could ever deserve. Um, and it, it covers you. It drowns you. Which fits nicely with baptism imagery. So Paul is wrestling here. He's, you know, He's really feeling his sin. And he asks this question, who will deliver me from this body of death? That could very much be a question of despair. You know, because he knows that it's not him. He, you know, he's the wretched man. He knows that he is not up to this. He knows he needs a savior. And so verse 25 brings us that good news of the gospel. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our hope. This is how we are delivered from this body of death. This, this is the heart and the core of the Christian faith right here. Um, and it's the key to our salvation. So he says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And this is very much that little Latin phrase that we keep popping up here, simul justus et peccator, that we are at the same time saints and sinners. Simultaneously. Saint and sinners. Yeah, that we are both. Okay. God, God looks at us and, and he says, you know, I see your sin. You're a sinner. And I condemn that sin. And at the same time, he looks at us and says, Christ has died for you and your sins are forgiven. They sound like they're opposite things. But this is, this is the tension of living in this world where we know what God has promised to us and yet we live and we wrestle and we struggle with our flesh, we struggle with the temptations that we know will not be on the other end. You know, it's it's the the problem of uh, it's the problem of living in the penultimate world. Okay. You know that right now we continue to sin, and God's grace is the only thing that we can cling to. Now, does that mean that when God looks at you, He looks at you with condemnation? No, it means He looks at you with mercy and forgiveness. But you're not, you know, you are a sinner and you are a saint. Both, Both realities are at play in your life. And so when the sinner part becomes so overwhelming, you know, that we just can't stand ourselves, we really have to focus on the grace. Mm -hmm. Because that's actually the power of salvation in, in us. But we can't 
forget that the sinner part is a real part of who we are because that's going to lead us to walk with faith and, and humility to you know to, to seek God's word to seek that mercy and grace that is his life this little verse right here verse 25 it's probably like the first climax of the book of Romans he has been working toward this all through these first seven chapters and then in chapter 8, he's going to just really blow this out. This, this whole idea that, that God uh, has saved him and redeemed him. Saved us and redeemed us. So we're, we're at this important, really important turning point in terms of the book of Romans. And um, you know, everything, like I said, has been building to this point. Um, Karl Barth says of this, the whole of chapter 8 will teach us how the condemnation of man has been abrogated. So the whole first seven chapters, it's, you know, look, you're a sinner. Look, you're a sinner. Oh, you think you're good? Nope, you're a sinner. You know, you look at all these ways that you fall short. And now chapter 8 is really going to be, boom, this is what God has done in order to bring his forgiveness and salvation to you. What does abrogated mean? Like undone or... Undone, gotten rid of, yeah. I didn't choose that word. <laughs> Carl Barth, he's such a brainiac. Well, technically, I think he would have chosen aggregated, but in German. Yeah, or did he do German or did he do Dutch? I thought it was German. I mean, he might have been Dutch. Uh, I don't remember. He was, he was reformed. He was, yeah, maybe that's where I'm coming at the Dutch part. Hmm. Um, I did grow up near Grand Rapids, you know. <laughs> the word Dutch just goes with reformed. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it wasn't until I moved here that I knew that there was a Hungarian side. Yeah, right. <laughs> As we read through chapter 8, one of the things that you should watch for is how often the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Uh, this chapter, it's completely driven by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's important because on the one hand, it, from a law side of things, it leaves no room for works of people to justify ourselves. But from the gospel side of it, it says, it's saying, this is what God is doing in you. This is, he's at work in order to deliver and to bring the salvation to you. you know, and it, it's interesting, there are no imperative verbs in this section of the letter. It's all about what is God doing in his spirit, in us. So, ready? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son into the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he con condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So 8.1, no condemnation. Um, the, the actually, the, the first word of this uh, is not therefore. Um, in the original, the first word is no, or no one, or nothing. So you could translate this. Nothing, therefore, now is condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, that's not good English, though. So, you know, part of the translator's work is to make good English, to bring it into that the language properly. But I think that there's a reason that he started with that word, um, and it's to emphasize nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing uh, condemns you. There is no condemnation. So condemnation, uh, it stands in opposition to justification. And he's saying the condemnation is gone and all that's left is God's forgiveness, mercy, and salvation for you. And that is probably a good point to end for Christmas break. Um, so my plan, uh, next week, uh, the 26th, we're going to have one worship service at 10 a.m. Um, I'm not planning on teaching next week. Um, uh, I, Sounds good. If, if you want to say I'm lazy, I'm fine. Um, but uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, um, <laughs> Feast of Stephen, that's enough. <laughs> but um, I am planning on coming back January 2nd. That's the, the, the first Sunday of the new year. Does, is that okay with people, or are there a lot of people going to be gone? Or Okay, then, then let's plan on being back January 2. I don't know if... Um, don't you usually go on vacation after Christmas? Sometimes I do, but I'm not this year. Okay. So, all right. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it works in our lives, inwardly and outwardly. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would really set in our hearts this good news that there is no condemnation for us because we are in Christ Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to live in faith and forgiveness every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.